Welcome to Sound and Vision, that trivia-based wonder of pop culture, with your host, Marty Boston. Thank you, scary children. Yes, it's another episode of Sound and Vision. I have uh, a guest who was with me quite a fair bit on season one, uh, and he's back for season two. Season two. Season two. I am very, very excited to reintroduce Des Hamilton. Say hi, Des. How are you? Very well, very well. Pleasure to be back here. Yeah, it's changed. It has so much. It hasn't at all. No, yeah, Des was a reoccurring guest, and what I love about Des is that he's into films as much as I am, which is nice Wee. because it means we have a conversation on air and off air with films and just general knowledge and trivia about it, which is good. And because we have such a best spoke theme for this week. I thought of no one better than Des, and that theme is spoof films. Now, you would normally go to the idea of scary movie. Um, you could go to Monty Python. Um, however, we haven't gone down that avenue. We've gone for a few niche ones. There are one or two obvious ones, yeah. but we've also gone for some obscure ones as well. Yeah. When you were thinking of spoof or parody films, was there any in particular other than the ones which you've chosen that really stood out to you? Yeah, yeah. So th when somebody says parody or spoof, your initial thought is to go comedy. Mm. And I think that's the difference between spoof and parody. Spoof will take the mickey out of a genre and basically not be very respectful to it. Parody is almost like a homage. Parody is kind of like an homage, and they've taken the best elements of a genre, replicated it for mostly comedic purposes. Mm. But then other times, and what I like about what we've chosen, we've only got, we haven't just got comedies. No, we've we've not got at a all. couple of comedies, but we've also got some other things that you wouldn't normally fit in there. So, first of all, you, of course, you think Naked Guns. Yep, Naked Gun, very they're, good example. They're the most obvious ones, aren't they? Yeah, you you think of those sorts of things. or Scary movie. Yeah, scary movie. Yeah, but again, comedy. Yeah. Comedy, all, all those sorts of things. I, I really like our choices for this week. I feel like we've got a good bunch, and they fluctuate on obvious to not so obvious, in particular your second, first choice, actually. Your first choice yeah. is a really, really good one. Um, hadn't seen it, watched it, fell in love with it. Genius. Film. It's good, isn't it? But and that's the thing because so that's more of a satire. Yeah. So you've got spoof, parody, satire, homage, all of those things. But when you when you look at something like James Bond, for example, and you watch Doctor No, and you watch From Russia with Love, then you watch Goldfinger. It's only from Goldfinger where you start getting the tropes. The the pre uh, the pre credit scene, the the stunts and the spy special effects that wouldn't normally be in there in real world stuff. Yeah, you start getting those little elements. You get a Bond song. Mm. Those sorts of things really kick in from Goldfinger, and it's the same with Mission Impossible films. You'll always have a pre credit sequence. Always. You'll always open with the Mission Impossible theme, and you'll always have an a mission of some kind. Yeah certain things that happen and what I like about parodies is that they take that and most of the time it's quite quite clever when you get the scary movie films especially when you start getting into them they're not clever at all they're just lazy yeah first one though first one I thought was a really good take on Scream but then Scream yeah. in itself 
is almost a parody exactly. of the slasher film franchise yeah, as well, which definitely. again, it didn't come across as that. If you just look at it on the base level, it's you know a horror film, but actually it's going into details about Freddy and Jason and all about jazz of yeah. the, the, the classic stab slasher films. Yeah, because it's Wes Craven. Wes mm. Craven has parodied his own films that he made famous in The Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. And that was so popular, then you've got, uh, I think it's Wes Anderson did I Know What You Did Last Summer, yeah. which was a continuation. And then the sort of parody of the slasher genre became the slasher genre of the 1990s. Yeah, it was a big vamp of it in the 1990s, yeah. early noughties as well. That was it, yeah. yeah. Which kind of plays into my first one a little bit, to be fair. It does. But before we get there, we'll go on to mine. Clue one. Joe Sun, the actor who played Random Task in this film, is serving a <laughs> lifetime in prison for torture of a 19-year-old woman in 1990. No! Yep. He was uncaptured until 2008 when a DNA match linked him to the crime. According to the victim, she unknowingly had a copy of this movie in her home until her attacker's identity was revealed. In 2017, he was sentenced to an additional 27 years for murdering his cellmate. (laughs) How did he kill him? (laughs) You know what? I'm the bird didn't go into that detail. I don't want to say how he killed him because that would give it away. away. (laughs) But still, I, you know, I I rewatched this film and then I looked at this clue and I was just like, random task, you monster. So he'd done this and then went on to star in this oh, film. Oh, right. Because this happened in 1990 when he tortured the 19-year-old woman. Wow. And then he's gone on to this film, and this film was in 97. But that wasn't on his CV. <laughs> <laughs> extra, extra torture. Extra, extra. Main. Uh, <laughs> clue two. The UK cinema release of this movie cut the reference to Prince Charles as Diana had recently died. Mm, I remember that. Not I remember Prince Charles, Princess Diana dying. Everyone remembered that. Yeah. But I remember there was a cut scene of Prince Charles in this film. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I missed that. I was not old enough to see this. Yeah, film. mate. Well, I was I was a teenager when this came out. This was a big deal. This film. Really? Yeah, I saw it in the pictures. Oh, good. Yeah, we'll speak about it in a minute. And uh, clue three. At the beginning of the film, Austin has five stages of defrosting. Hmm. They are as followed. Stage one, laser cutting. Stage two, warm liquid goofes. Stage three, reanimation. Stage four, cleansing. And stage five, evacuation. Or evacuation (laughs) complete. We will go into the film after this.
Time is up. Imagine you're you're in the sixties, you're loving life, and um, you know you're you're a secret agent, and you have a nemesis, and he he goes into space, and you have to be cryogenically frozen, in order to have that weight of maybe my arch nemesis will appear. That's basically what Austin Powers has to do in Austin Powers. Um, International Man of Mystery. International Man of Mystery, you're absolutely right. And then the two sequels, which was The Spy Who Shagged Me um, and Gold Member. Gold Member. Um, Interesting fact, Austin Powers 1, International Man of Mystery, was a 15. Yes. The other two were a 12. Yeah. What makes it more interesting is by the time Austin Powers 2 came out, The Spy Who Shagged Me... My great nan, who's now 93, 94, um, she asked my mum at the time what I wanted for Christmas. <laughs> I told my mum I wanted Austin Powers too. My nan went to HMV and asked for Austin Powers too. When they came to the counter with this, she uh, contacted my mum and said, your son's asked for porn because of the title. Uh, the spy who shagged me. Obviously, it wasn't porn. It was Obviously not. Obviously uh, but not. my very elderly nan believed it was. Uh, that means she never saw Octopussy. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> or BBC either. She doesn't watch that either because she knows what it actually means. <laughs> she won't flick over to BBC One, Two, and definitely not three. Not three. <laughs> um, but... Going back to Austin Powers, it goes it goes into so much, but the most obvious one is obviously it's taking the mick out of James Bond in this. Oh yeah, totally. Um, you know this British man who can walk in, and it's purely because of the accent, it, regardless of the terrible attire, regardless of the terrible teeth, regardless of the way that he acts or the fact that he's a complete womanizer, is irrelevant because he can get away with all of it. He's a secret agent and he's British. And yeah. Austin just completely throws into this. Mike Myers, you know, prior to this, Wayne's World, um, I Married an Axe Murderer, that was kind of his thing. Saturday Night Live, he did a little bit as well. But other than that, that was it. And then this one, it just kind of blew him up yeah. into something else entirely when he could dress up as another person. And it's now been his role model since. So he did it with a love guru, which admittedly wasn't brilliant. But it was yeah, it was awful. Um but it's very much his thing now when he dresses up as other people. The same way that Eddie Murphy does as well. Mm. He's more than happy to stick on the fat suit and to add makeup to make him look like someone else as well. In addition on top of that, he wasn't gonna play Doctor Evil at the start of this. That offer was originally with Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey said no because it tied in with Liar Liar. He opted to do Liar Liar, which is a good film as well. I quite enjoy Liar Liar, to be fair. Um, But that's why. That's the only reason why he was Dr. Evil. You watch it back, he's having so much more fun as Mm. Dr. Evil. The the parent-child sort of bonding class that they have, where he starts going into his, his life story. With her, my mother would womanize. <laughs> oh, Carrie Fisher's the psychiatrist. <laughs> yes, she is. Yeah. Uh, but this was a again big deal for me. So this was 1997. I was 17. I was doing an A level in media studies at the time, mm. and we'd done an awful lot of work on the early James Bonds because this is especially Sean Connery and Roger Moore, James Bond, and Doctor Evil's course is Blofeld. Absolutely. And the whole of the secret layer is Spectre. 
like where Doctor No, if you watch Doctor No, this is classic Doctor No. Yeah. But at the same point, the fact that he is a international man of mystery by night and a fashion photographer by day, <laughs> there's a 1970s film that we also study called Blow Up, which is which is that which where really? he's a fashion photographer, but then also is, uh, yeah, a, a, in the <laughs> evening he's a party goer, but. Blow Up was a classic, classic 1960s swinging London film. It encapsulated the swinging 60s of London perfectly. Wow. So what he's done is he's taken that character of Blow, from Blow Up and then thrown James Bond in as well. Yeah. And But there's so many clever little lines about it. The fact that they'll let him... The baddie will torture Austin Powers and leave him to die, but then shut the door. <laughs> I don't need to see that. No, don't, don't worry about it. It'll just happen. Because the sharks haven't got freaking laser beams on their freaking heads. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, he's, he's second in command is number two. Yeah, my number two man. His name, <laughs> number two. Who does number two work for? <laughs> <laughs> That's right, pal. You show that turd who's boss. So many cameos in this film as well. Yeah. Um, Will Farrell is a really good one, and you don't see it as Will either prior to it. I mean, he wasn't that big. No, he was Saturday moment. Night Live at that point. Yeah, he wasn't there, but also you have... Um, He's the one who, I'm very badly burned. Mustafa. <laughs> yeah, that's it, because he, he flips him. He's like, <laughs> oh, really? You shot me? You Why shot did you shoot me <laughs> in the arm? Um, you also have... Tom Arnold. Tom Arnold yeah. as well. You have Tom Arnold Number two well. is Robert Wagner, yep, who's Robert. a classic baddie in and loads of films. married to a Bond girl as well, which again throws yeah. it back to that, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's so many you little Rob ties. Lowe pops up later. Rob or? Lowe in number two. He's number two in the past as well. That's in The Spy Who Shagged Me. Yeah. In this one, he's Smitty, the guard who gets run over by the steamroller. Oh he totally is. He's his best mate <laughs> in the bar. And you've got Christian Slater. I bought you your orange sherbet. <laughs> 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 with with the cross eyed look as well, yeah. <laughs> and I remember Rob Lowe. Now he got decapitated by an ill tempered like something mutated sea bass. That's it, sea bass. Because <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't get shot. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant, and it's a wonderful film. This film actually, um, Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig, pretty much every person who's played Bond has said what a giant impact Austin Powers had in a negative way with Bond films. Yeah, yeah. This came out between Goldeneye and Tomorrow Never Dies. Yes. Tomorrow Never Dies um, then came out a few weeks or months later and it really, really hit it because how much it ripped into the James Bond franchise. Totally. And, you know, it ruined it for him. Tomorrow Never Dies had an invisible car and Austin Powers destroyed those sorts of concepts. Destroyed every single aspect of Bond in yeah. general. Um, but what a wonderful film. And, you know, it grew two sequels. Admittedly, the other two aren't as good. Um, the, the other two are funny, but they're not as clever. Yeah, I mean the starter for the second one in particular, oh, when awful. when you have Liz Hurley being this, you know, he marries her at the end of the first one and they're together, and then she's a robot the entire time. And Basil Expedition, which I love his name as Exposition, well. Exposition, yeah. yeah. Um, Basil's like, yeah, we knew that all along. And it's like, hang on a minute. Yeah. What's going on here? Because the other point, it did have the element that he was a man out of time. Yeah. And it was like, so he had a lot of vagina. Yeah. And she was like, oh, what did you do? And I shagged her, baby. Like, it was the most natural thing in the world. And you had those sort of elements. Well, it wasn't serious, but it had a point that he was a man out of yeah, time. Yeah, absolutely. And different than the 90s was to the 60s. 
just so happened that Liz Hurley was an atrocious actress. Um, but yeah, the first one was clever. It was funny, but it was a, also a very clever parody. And I think the plan was always to have Michael Caine, who comes back as Austin Powers' father, doesn't he? Yeah, number I think three. It, but it, he was doing quite well at the time, I think, Michael Caine, so he didn't bother doing it. And then two and three just became almost parodies of themselves. Where you had Tom Cruise turning up as Austin Powers, didn't and you? And I was so surprised by the amount of cameo. In particular, like Tom Cruise, for example, uh, Michael Caine. I was generally shocked yeah. when and Gwyneth Paltrow. She just won the Oscar. Gwyneth, yep. But the fact that they were all in that, I was shocked that they would be okay with being in such a film as well. Yeah, yeah. Because spoofs true. normally get ridiculed in Hollywood. To be fair, it's not something which you're like, oh, a spoof film, brilliant. They make the money, but they're never up for awards. They're never seen as, oh, that was amazing, that was fantastic. Yeah, so yeah. for something to, especially in the second and third one, to be like, yeah, no, I want to be involved in this. Yeah. It's quite interesting. Yeah, I think that's when it got, it, when it became more famous than I think anyone expected it to. Mm. Sort of like it got Americanized a little bit. Yeah, Because the, the thing with Mike Myers is that he's British who moved to Canada. So he's got very much a British sense of humour. And like, you could tell it... it it's such a such a like a love story for London, especially seventies, sixties London. And then the, it kind of got Hollywoodized a little bit in later films. That's why you've got Beyonce in there and yeah, and things like that. But they're good. They're still good. They still make me laugh. Yeah, no, I'll watch them. But um, yeah, the first one absolutely yeah. is a brilliant film. It's brilliant, and um, I'm a big fan of Liz Hurley as well. So yeah, not so much. That's fine. In that film and Bedazzled, mm. not for her acting. No. Um, so, Austin Powers, if you haven't seen it, for whatever reason, what are you doing? It's uh, it's a genius film. That is now almost 23 years old. Wow. Which Just is like insane. me. Yeah, 23 years plus 17, and you work out does his age. This isn't Countdown, Marty. <laughs> that is <laughs> my first choice. <laughs> Des, Hi. what is your first choice? So, uh, my first choice is a parody or a critical satire of the slasher film genre. It's not Scream. It's also a bit of a parody of the torture porn stuff that seemed to have come about in the last 20 years or so. So, it's a 2012 American horror comedy, although I don't really find it funny. Uh, no. It was directed and produced and written by Joss Whedon and Drew Goddard, who were the magical pairing that did Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel. This was the first film they had done together. It was the first film that Drew Goddard directed. He had a producer credit on Cloverfield, I think. Really? <clears throat> I think. Cloverfield was 09? Probably. Yeah, a few years Something prior. Something like that. So, uh, Whedon described the film as an attempt to revitalise the horror genre. He called it a loving hate letter to the genre. He said, it's a serious critique of what we love and what we don't about horror movies. I love being scared. I love that mixture of thrill, of horror, that objectification, identification thing of wanting definitely for the people to be all right, but at the same time hoping they go somewhere dark and face something awful. The things that I don't like are kids acting like idiots, the devolution of the horror movie into torture porn and a long series of sadistic comeuppances. Drew and I both felt that the pendulum had swung a little too far in that direction. I love that. That's nice. Having seen the film and seeing what he's written... Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. It nails it, doesn't it? Yeah. 
So that's clue one. Clue two, they went all out on the parody and the satire. So the special effects, the monster costumes, the special makeup and the prosthetic makeup for the movie were done by veteran Hill, uh, veteran horror film actress Heather Lagenkamp, her husband David Leroy Anderson and their company AFX Studio. There are over 600 classic horror characters in this film and they're all true to their origins, dependent of the culture that they were from too. It's really clever when you start seeing them all come through. Really smart. Uh, so Eric Goldman, who's a, a critic writing for IGN, called the movie an incredibly clever and fun take on the classic horror movie tropes. The cliches come at an onslaught pace in a wonderfully conceived story that gives bigger than life and fascinating and a fascinating explanation for why so many horror movie cliches exist in the first place. By the time the ride is over, the director and co-writers will change the course three or four times, nodding and winking, but never losing momentum. Very nicely said, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. So without too many spoilers, this is all Act 1 stuff, but the plot follows a group of college students. They retreat to a remote forest cabin where they fall victim to backward zombies. But most importantly, they fall victim to the technicians who are in an underground facility who manipulate events for them. And why? Again, when I started watching this, generally didn't have a clue what was going on because there's almost two sides to this as well at first until they merge. Yeah. It's yeah, it's a really, really smart film. It's totally marketed as a horror film. You'd have no idea. The that poster it's a alone, you would assume that it would go down that route. And yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't say it's a comedy as such, but it definitely is a spoof of the genre, so you get that um laughter factor in certain moments and the, the light-hearted aspect of it as mm. well um, we will go into more detail after this Yes. What is your first choice? So the film, the remote shed that they live in, is actually a cabin in the woods. Oh, <laughs> nice. Cabin in the woods. Cabin in the woods. Just Available on Netflix, by the way, for anyone that wants to see it. definitely is, because I watched it on Netflix. Um, just before we go into the details of it, we were just briefly discussing how it was advertised. Um, the poster alone is a very derelict old cabin in a forest and it's twisting and turning like a puzzle and it, sh- it almost has like a, a Blair Witch vibe to it. It yeah, has it does, yeah. that isolated incident that, you know, something terrible is going to happen here and you don't really understand much else. And it's a brilliant way to advertise it because you go in with the idea of one thing and it's completely something else. Yeah, but it's interesting you say Blair Witch because it takes so many of those elements that Blair Witch uses, which borrowed all of those elements from anything. Yeah. The Evil Dead 2 is a parody of horror oh. films, and that's about a guy that goes to a cabin in the woods 
reads an ancient script and accidentally brings alive the dead. When when they walk up to the cabin, I genuinely thought to myself, I wonder if they've used the same cabin. It looks a spitting image. Yeah, they, that would have been on purpose. Yeah. It, definitely, those sorts of things. So when you see they're driving out to the cabin, and the beauty is, it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to my cousin's cabin. And then right at the end, they go, you know, I don't think he's even got a cousin. <laughs> I love that. So they're going out to the cousin's cabin and they go and stop for petrol and you've got the old redneck hick saying, Classic. you won't return from here, kids, and all that You'll freaking all that. You're a whore and all that yep. business. And they're like, what's wrong with that guy? But of course he's in on it. And um, yeah, then they go to the cabin, which these underground people are manipulating, putting pheromones in the air, getting them drunk. So they fit, purposefully fit, the horror movie stereotypes where you've got the... Uh, the jock. Yeah, the sports jock. The, the whore, whore. The nerd. The virgin. And the hero? Uh, the sports guy, wasn't it? Yes, a jock. Yeah, there was a hero and there was the the, the idiot. The, yeah, but, but, but... The clown, is it they call it? Oh, was it? Oh, he was the jester. The jester. That's it, the jester. And you've got these, these stereotypes that need to be adhered to for the purposes of this experiment. It's really clever. And you don't expect what's going to happen either. Um, no. Again, because the two stories are so separate and you go in expecting, you're following these people going to the cabin and then another story's happened on the side of it as well, the underground people, which Des was speaking about just then. Their story starts to come into it and you almost start to question, is this another film entirely? You mm. know, it, it doesn't seem to have linked at all because they're so separate. And then... As the film goes on, the stories actually start to collide with each other and you get a better understanding of what's going on. And it's just, it's something you would never think of when it comes down to it. it. It's an amazing idea. So the comedy really comes from the underground layer of people. But you know that they're manipulating this absolute horror show at the other side of the story. Yeah. So you're not really laughing with them. You're too busy figuring out what the hell are they doing down Absolutely. And when it all comes together... Yeah, you just never expect it. It's really, it's really clever, and it's not fair to spoil it on on the no, this no, show. No, no, absolutely. So yeah, if you if you just go on Netflix and watch it, and even if you don't find it funny and you don't find it scary, because it's not funny or scary. No, but it's so clever you can't help but admire it. Good cast in there as well. Mm. This is after, so this is two thousand twelve. Two thousand twelve. So yeah. this is after Thor after as Thor, well, yeah. and Chris Hemsworth is in it. Yeah, it was probably filmed before Thor. Mm. Because he looks young, doesn't he? He does look and very young. he doesn't young. look that buff either. No. But, but still to have him in there. Yeah. And the, the, the two guys in the underground, probably the most famous, I can't remember their names, but one guy was from West Wing and the other guy is the dad from Step Brothers. Yeah. Both brilliant. Yeah. Really funny them too as yeah. well. And he's the, he's the, the next door neighbour in The Shape of Water as well. I can't remember his yeah. name. But yeah, he's very good. Really good film. I'd highly recommend it. And it's a good take on the spoof franchise as well, you know, that idea that it doesn't necessarily have to be funny in, you know, you can take a stab at it and be serious at the same time. And there Definitely. are some very, very serious moments in this as well. But it 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 sums up horror movies in, a, in one film, which is fantastic because there's so many different types of horror films and the ending really knuckles down to every single genre of horror film that's physically available yeah. and it condenses it into one film which it, is amazing and it explains it as well yeah and there's the cameo who from the person who describes oh. that is perfect 
absolutely wonderful by hitting the nail on my head. I was surprised when the cameo came on. I, was yeah. like, I wasn't expecting you to be in this, if I'm honest. No, no chance. Really, really good ending. Yeah, um, yeah I'd highly recommend it. Cameron in the Woods, genius film. Mm. Well worth the watch. Okay, I will move on to my second choice. Charles Dance said in interviews that after being told that he'd won a part turned down by Alan Rickman because of a salary, he wore a t-shirt on set which read, I'm cheaper than Alan Rickman. In every single way. (laughs) Well, I mean, he's not saying that on Game of Thrones now, is he? No, but imagine Alan Rickman in Game of Thrones. Oh, God, that'd be amazing. That's what I'm talking about. I probably would have liked the season finale. (laughs) Um, Clue two. When Danny is arguing with Slater over checking to see if Benedict is dead after the two play chicken, he makes a reference to a villain in Die Hard, also directed by John McTinn, who comes back at the end of the movie after being presumed dead. Shortly afterwards, a soundtrack from a die-hard theme plays in the background. Yep. Clue three. I remember that scene. Danny's annoying. <laughs> he is annoying, <laughs> isn't he? Really, really irritating. Clue three. When Danny and Jack Slater are looking in the video store for the action section to find a Schwarzenegger movie, Danny's surprised and confused to see that Terminator 2 Judgment Day's poster features Sylvester Stallone. Mm. And that apparently Schwarzenegger movies do not exist. Mm. I I think this is a brilliant film. I like it. Um, it bombs. That scene really really annoys me. But yeah, I what, like the it. The blockbuster scene. Yeah, this is an action parody, right? The yeah. whole thing's an action parody. What action film do you ever see him going to blockbuster? But that's the whole point. Because no, no it's not the point. Well, because the action movies don't go into video stores. I tell you what, we'll go into it <laughs> after this. <laughs> I'm a big fan of action movies, and uh, so was Danny. Danny is uh, a little boy. Annoying little boy. Annoying little boy, admittedly. Who shouldn't be allowed to watch these films either. Jack Slater, one, two, three, and four. Yeah, he's a troubled youth, isn't he? Uh, I mean, even still, you know, the the guy who owns the cinema, what are you doing? His idea is it's obviously better for you to be in here than out on the streets when you could be causing trouble or be hurt. So I understand it to a certain extent, Mm. but still... We're going from the plot, and he's uh, he's he's watching the film Jack Slater three because four, four's coming out. Oh, okay. Four's or is it four? He's watching four and five's coming out. That's it. He's so, watching yeah. four and five's coming out. Uh, he loves it. It's his favourite franchise, and it's mm. basically Arnie being a cop, being classic Arnie with all the stereotypes and. Um, the guy who owns his cinema, he has a ticket. It's an amazing ticket. It's by Harry Houdini, yeah. um, which in real life was not a fan of superstition and was completely opposed to this idea of the fact that magic could happen in reality. He was 
He was an escape artist. Yeah, and that's the difference. He was an escape artist. He didn't want to make people believe that supernatural could happen. Mm. This goes into the supernatural Mm. idea that that was all a fabrication and that he basically put magic on a cinema ticket. And because of that, Danny can then go into a film. Um, And this is for the film The Last Action Hero, which stars Arnie. Um, Brilliant film. Got... It bombed, essentially, because, I mean, there were so many issues with regards to production, the fact that it was filming a week before it got released. Also, Jurassic Park came out at the same sort of time as well. So the and timing. crazy rewrites. Do you know who wrote the original script? No. Shane Black. Really? They had the Lethal Weapon writer and the Die Hard director. Mm. And it all went to rats. Yeah, so the Lethal Weapon, they even do little nods in this as well. So there's a, there's a cop. Danny Glover's in it. Two days from retirement. He's That's not the cop, is he? He's no, the he's guy not. that said, two days from retirement. And it goes... That's not Danny Glover, is, is it? Is it not? Maybe no, I remembered it being Danny Glover. No, it, may, it would be brilliant if it was Danny Glover, but I'm fairly sure it's not. No, it's a, it's a cop and... He, the explosion happens and he literally just goes, I'm two days from retirement uh-huh. and he dies in it. And that's a homage to Lethal Weapon yeah. because of a little nod to it as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Which is why, because I was confused if I'm honest, with both Die Hard and with Lethal Weapon, normally there'd be a bit of like, no, you can't use these bits of music because blah, blah, blah. But if you've got the writer and director of all of those, it makes complete sense. Well, it's not necessarily why. the writer or director, it's the, the, the ownership is the film studio. Yeah. So if it's the same film studio, and I can't remember who it was. It is the same. Yeah, then, then they would have the rights to it. But it's amazing. Though. But like, yeah. So it started off, because you know in The Simpsons, you've got the guy who's Arnie, but he plays McBain. Yeah. And it's McBain, one, two, three, or four. This was an homage to, to McBain. That. So Jack Slater is McBain. That's brilliant. That's the whole point of that. So they got together and done that. But they go through so many cliches of action movies. So, you know, a police officer getting blown up two days from retirement, which we said. Um, The main star evading every blast of machine gun bullet that comes their way as well. The bad guys never winning. The attractive daughter. And not one unattractive woman to be seen either. No. Every single one. You've even got, because it was that type of period of time as well when Roger Rabbit was blowing up, you had the cartoon character this in there This is where it gets a little well. bit crazy. You can tell they threw too much at it. Yeah, they, they were like, let's just throw every single idea into one film. The only way they got Arnie is because this is the first film that Arnie ever became a producer on. So that's the only way they could get him, so we could get producer credits as well. The budget was the most one of the, it was one of the most expensive films ever made at the time. The profit it made was one of the lowest profits. It nearly Paramount, I think it was, nearly put Paramount out of business. Really, really bad. So the the cinema ticket guy was meant to be an old, suspicious, evil guy that cursed the kid. Yeah, and they turned him into a lovely, friendly old man who just happened to give the most annoying kid in the world the oh, gift of so cinema. Irritating. Little things like that little things like that but yeah it, it is good but why is there a cartoon cat in it that makes no sense no they're taking a the mick out of Roger Rabbit just on that one but there's no need but that's it there's no need for it whatsoever but no. I do like the fact that prior to this Arnie was very much known for his action films and he's gone on record and saying this was the start of the end of my career this film has he um, because after this he went True Lies which did better than this and that was a parody That's as well James that, Cameron. That, but that was a spoof as well But it, that was James Bond but it was done better yeah. uh, than this this was just action films in general whereas 
True Lies was very much, like you said, for James Bond. It was almost a Mission Impossible vibe because it was an American version, but with a beefcake instead of Pierce Brosnan and Sean Connery. Americans have always tried to have their own James Bond character. They even tried to do it with Triple X. Yeah, they just don't. That was terrible. That was absolutely atrocious. But yeah, um, this film basically goes into Danny, the the annoying child. He, He gets dropped into this film, Jack Slater 4, and Arnie's there, and he's. And he, he knows everything which is going to happen. You're going to be fine. You're not going to die. Everything's yeah. going to be sorted. Uh, and then a villain gets hold of this cinema ticket and goes in, comes into our world where the villains can win. And it's that story of... And he tries to take out Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, he? which is brilliant. And it's, just, it's that story of, well, we've got to go back to my world and resolve this because he could actually win and kill you, which means killing you and all of this ending up into hell and all that jazz yeah. um, and he brings villains into it and but, but Charles Dance is his voice is amazing he's very good and he has this script bit right at the end when he goes on about all the villains that he's going to capture and he's like you know I'll, I'll be having dinner with Hannibal Lecter and Freddy Krueger can come out to play and the way that he does it is beautifully yeah. done there's so many again cameos so the the cartoon cat that's Danny, Danny DeVito, DeVito yeah. um, so surprising Ian McKellen's in this as yeah. well would not imagine Ian McKellen getting involved in this type of film at all no. and yet he is a villain from a film as well he's death yeah. which he's the grim reaper which again is absolutely amazing but it goes into all types of cliches it's a definite spoof and parody for any and every action film you've ever seen mm. it points and laughs at it as well yeah. and going back to what you were saying before we described what the film was with the music with the blockbuster scene he's doing that to prove a point of why he knows why every action scene is going to end in that way and then he's shocked because obviously Schwarzenegger's not there and you look like Schwarzenegger because this guy who plays you etc etc that's why it happens yeah no, I know. I understand the plot of the film to get them there, but whoever's written that script, as an action movie parody, they went too far. <laughs> they went. You, you can tell the script had too many rewrites, yeah. and then some Hollywood exec has gone, "Oh no, let's get them in blockbuster and have Stallone on the poster." <laughs> no one cares. <laughs> the um, they even reuse scenes as well. So going back to Shane Black, surprisingly, the Last Boy Scout. The scene um, where the house explodes in Last Boy Scout, they reuse that in this film. Yeah. That's also the house explosion. Yeah, yeah. So they used a bit of Shane Black's film. It's ridiculous. For this film. So basically what happened is, is they ended up sacking Shane Black and then John McTiernan came in and started rewriting bits himself. And then they realised, oh, this isn't very good. Let's get Shane Black back. He basically turned around like Shane Black would do and swore at them, saying, yeah. no. There's no way you're going to get me back as a favour to do the film that you just sacked me from and then rewritten my own words. Absolutely. And they went, are you sure? We'll pay you a lot of money. <laughs> and he went, all right. Yeah, I like money, actually. <laughs> yeah, go on. Then. So, yeah, crazy. Real mess. A real mess. But surprisingly, considering it's a real mess, I really enjoyed this film. I did, but I wonder whether that's me and you being young when it came out and it's just having a soft spot. Mm. I've not rewatched it. I have. Ooh. And I really don't get me wrong, True Lies is better. True Lies is better. True Lies is a brilliant yeah, film though. With brilliant. that moment with I think his, I did True Lies in one of the one of these shows. Yeah. 
Jamie Lee Curtis and Arnie work well together. Yeah. Tom Arnold work well together as well. Yeah. Just it's absolutely brilliant. And then obviously you've got um Bill's in it as well. Yeah, Bill Pullman. Bill Pullman's in it as well with the sleazy car salesman. Yeah. And, oh, it's just it's an amazing film. Really, really, really good. Really enjoyable. Just Arnie films in general. I really like Arnie in the nineties. I know he gets slated because it goes away from his predator and commando and the very much you know the action star and it goes more down into the comedy route but mm. twins kindergarten cop um junior oh awful i love those films <laughs> only twins is good and that's because of danny devito no aren't mm. well juniors juniors also with danny as well Yeah, that's true but not even danny can save that shocker <laughs> yeah. awful Arnie being pregnant yeah. why didn't I write that sooner <laughs> but yeah um, if you've never seen it I would highly recommend giving Last Action Hero a watch yeah I wouldn't <laughs> go to just True Lies that's, go that's, to True Lies yeah, yeah. Um, okay that is my second choice very Des. good okay so on to my final choice uh this film is a parody of the disaster film genre. Uh, so three writers who are referred to for now as ZAZ, they were known as ZAZ, nice. they wrote this in 1971. They were comedy writers at the time, and to obtain material for comedy routines, they would record late-night TV and review the tapes to mostly take the mickey out of the adverts <laughs> to get their comedy material. <laughs> One night, they accidentally recorded a film called Zero Hour, which is a 1957 film. Now, what they realised is this film was so unintentionally hilarious, they ripped it off, like, nearly word for word. They ripped it off so much, they ended up having to buy the rights <laughs> so they could retain the allowance of the parody within the copyright laws. Wonderful. The, char- the main character, same person. The doctors, the same people. All of these sorts of things are on there. It's amazing. So when the script was finished, ZAZ, who are Jerry Zucker, Jim Abrahams and David Zucker, they were unable to sell it. But eventually it was picked up by Paramount Pictures. Uh, critical and financial success. They had a budget of $3.5 million. They made that back in the first week and it went wow. on to make $158 million. Jesus. They uh, received the Writers Guild of America Award, <laughs> nominations for Golden Globe Awards and Best Motion Picture. For this film? For this film. <laughs> BAFTA Award for Best Screenplay. In 2010, the film was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically and aesthetically significant. What? Amazing, isn't it? So uh, most of the actors were cast to spoof their established images in prior roles prior to this film yeah every single one of them robert stack lloyd bridges peter graves and others were known for portraying adventurous no-nonsense tough guy characters after this they all went on to careers in comedy especially leslie nielsen yeah who was a sci-fi actor and then went into this so robert stack he plays captain rex kramer he previously played the role as the captain who loses a nerve in one of the earliest airline disaster films, The High and Mighty, in 1954. After this, he'd done Basketball and Beavers and Butt. <laughs> uh, Lloyd Bridges plays Steve McCroskey. He previously had a role as an airport manager, Jim Conrad, in San Francisco International Airport. After this, he was in all the hotshot films. Uh, Peter Graves plays Captain Clarence Over. 
He was in the made-for-TV film SST Death Flight, in which a plane was unable to land after an emergency. He went on to be in Looney Tunes, Back in Action, and Men in Black 2. And then, of course, Leslie Nielsen plays Dr. Rumack. And after this, his career went mental. Yeah. Uh, police Squad, Naked Gun, Dracula. He was definitely the biggest hitter from this film. Oh, my God. Unbelievable. I didn't see any of his stuff prior to Airplane. I've realised I've only ever known him for comedy. Oh, right, yeah. No, have you seen any of his when he's a series? I have, but I can't remember. He might have been in the TV series Lost in Space. He was definitely in some classic sci-fis. I can't imagine him being serious. It is the thing. He's got one of those faces now. He's just got a funny face. (laughs) And when you see him, you think, what are you doing? Did you know that when he passed, um, they they were lowering his his cask, they played the Naked Gun theme tune as it lowered, which is absolutely amazing because that's what, obviously, he was well known for. Yeah, Lieutenant Frank Drevin. Such a good film. Um, funny enough, we were speaking about that two episodes back on Movie Film 1988. Because that's when it came out. Yeah, it did. 31 years ago. It did, yeah. Absolutely incredible. But before we play the music, just uh, just a last little tidbit. There's a gag rate in this movie of 2.6 gags per minute. We're pretty sure it's the highest rate of gags in any movie ever made. That's amazing, isn't yeah, it? Really so is. that's you know almost... Three a minute, so that's every twenty seconds, twenty seconds, twenty-two seconds. You're getting a gag, yeah, time and time again, and it's not good necess- ones as well, yeah, and it's not necessarily ones which you know are vocal either. But a lot of them are are visual aids yeah. as well. You don't necessarily need to hear certain stuff either. It it happens in front of you, and you can visualize it, and oh, it's just it's a wonderful film. It really is. It really, really is. is. Right, we'll go to a bit of music, and we'll be back after this. So uh, that, if you haven't got this, by the way, there's something wrong with you. And if you've not seen this film a million times, there's something wrong with you. But of course, this is Ted Stryker, who's just a passenger, having been through a traumatic war where he crashed a plane himself. Uh, But then uh, (laughs) the captain, Clarence Over, and his co-pilots, co-pilots Victor and Roger, (laughs) they get the food poisoning. And... uh, that's right. That's right. So the cl- the film that they ripped off, the, there is a genuine line saying, "We need to find someone in this plane who can land a plane and who didn't have fish for dinner." <laughs> oh, <laughs> That's what? a genuine line. <laughs> <in the film. laughs> I kind of want to see this other Me film too. now. <laughs> Me too. Watch them back to back. So uh, yeah, that's right. So the doctor, Doctor Rumack, when they say, "Did you?" Uh, he said, "What was on the menu?" They said, "Well, we had two choices." Uh, <laughs> chicken or fish you know, yeah that's right I had lasagna <laughs> <laughs> he gets Ted Stryker and uh, they call in Rex Kramer to talk Stryker down to land the plane in uh, in airplane exclamation mark 
Brilliant film. What year was this? Uh, 1974, I think I said. 1974. That yeah. is absolutely insane. It's a, Yeah, and it's an absolute classic. I think... I, oh, 1971. 1971? Yeah. Wow, so what? Yeah, that's almost four, 50 years old? Yeah, about that. Yeah, that's 48 years old. And Leslie Nielsen looked old in that. Yeah, he went on for a while. He died in 210, I believe. Yeah, he did. Yeah, so... He did. Yeah, he was very... He's one of those faces like Dot from EastEnders. She's always been old. Yeah. She How has. she's still going, I do not know. <laughs> it's amazing. But there are so many good gags in this. The entire dance scene where they're dancing to Staying Alive and the two kids, the two girls are fighting with knives over the jukebox and stuff. And some guy gets stabbed in the back and he's trying to pull the knife out and she thinks it's a dance move. She starts copying him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's like... Uh, yeah, when when Leslie Nielsen just says, "Oh, we we got to get the pilot to a hospital." A hospital? What is it? It's a big building with patients, but that's not important right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You can see that they use so many of these gags and the bluntness of Leslie Nielsen for Naked Gun as well, because it just so it that shows was that was Zucker Abraham and Zucker as well. They wrote all the Naked Gun films. Ah, okay. Yeah, and they took Nielsen. Makes so much more sense. Yeah, now. yeah. They also did Hot Shots. So they they, they did a brand. Zucker Abrahams and they all work as well yeah Um, surprisingly this had a sequel as well though that no one's really ever seen no apparently there is a sight gag on there that's meant to be out of this world but I I don't know it I'm I'm not bothered watching it no I've never seen it even the poster is a bit like "Eh, exactly not for me but yeah Airplane it came out of nowhere 1971 I can't believe that it's this old it feels like it feels like an 80s film the type of gags that are going on it feels like the 70s wouldn't be ready for a film like that if I'm honest it no, feels like right. an 80s film that big type of vibe yeah yeah it does it does but I mean the, the gags all 80 oh it was 1980 oh they Nine... wrote it in 71 they must have pulled it uh, out in 80 oh I take then it that back that makes sense right so yeah the film was done in 1980 yeah well, 1980 okay yeah. that's good to know that's but still even with humour from 1970 as well 1971 yeah. even if they wrote it in 1971 it's still the gags and the humour, it just feels like it would be an 80s film. Exactly, irrelevant if yeah. it was filmed in men as and, well. And they knew that the script was so good, if they got proper actors in, they would be funnier than any comedy actor could do it. And, and you said that it took a while for them to get it as well. So they and were it took, a, it took a while for them to sign on as well. So like Lloyd Bridges had to be convinced to do it by his kids. Uh, the guy who played Clarence Over, he was worried but that there was like paedophile jokes on it because he asks young Jimmy to come and sit in the cockpit but they went no don't be silly you can and he read the rest and he went alright this is just stupid (laughs) I'll do that they even got Kareem Abdul Jamar in it who's like an absolute legend that's like getting Michael Jordan in it at the time but that was a that was a parody because in that other film there was a retired football player really acting in it so they got in a retired basketball player (laughs) and they said that they purposefully took the piss out of him just so he would snap and admit that he's Kareem because the whole thing is like you are Kareem he's like no I'm Captain Roger I'm, I feel I'm a like pilot. a documentary needs to be done on the making of Airplane yeah mate I, I really want to see this film now what, what is the film that they did the spoof of oh um, 
Oh, bear with me. Death plane. Zero hour. Zero hour. Nineteen fifty-seven. Yeah, and I, that had an exclamation mark on it as well. I, I really want to watch it. Zero hour now. <laughs> they bought the rights. So it's, I feel like yeah. it'd be absolutely. Well, now how much they bought the rights for? It as wasn't well? much. It was. I mean, they filmed it accidentally late at night when they were trying to film some adverts. So it wasn't much. I don't know why, but two thousand dollars is in my head. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, they easily made their money back. Yeah, totally. That's totally. Genius. <laughs> just all of it's so funny when they try and like every time they walk through the airport and the guy's going to the church of religious consciousness is trying to give them the like the bit of like twig yeah. <laughs> and Kramer ends up just beating up about five of them <laughs> not Kramer Rex, uh, Rex was, yeah. yeah yeah it's a brilliant film it's highly enjoyable and although the gags probably aren't as allowed as what they are now I still feel like it stands the test of time it's still yeah, a funny film yeah there's not film. many there's not many that don't stand up I mean you've got the two guys talking jive and they need translating but yeah. again that's not necessarily like racist no, yeah I, I would agree yeah and again with the paedophile like jokes and that like, you know it's on the cusp of in this day and age Ricky Gervais is doing paedophile jokes yeah you can kind of get away with it to be fair but there's a lot of um, humorous gags which are almost childish to a certain extent as well which is the running theme for all of these type of films as well you know the airplane hot shots naked gun there's a lot of it which is very much in your face you know it is very blatant what the joke is there's no hiding behind the curtains on this one no um, but there, are, there are other gags as well that are more key in America so there's a bit where the guy has his food and he starts throwing up and uh, <laughs> no, sorry. Before he's thrown up, he's there with his wife, and they say, "Oh, would you like another cup of coffee?" And he went, "Oh yes, another cup of coffee." And she goes, "Ted Hunt never has a second cup of coffee at home." That's an advert that that couple were in for coffee <laughs> in America. <laughs> That's wonderful. And then when he starts throwing up, she looks at the camera and goes, "Ted never vomits at home." <laughs> <laughs> It sucks when you miss stuff like that, though, because everyone else is like, oh, this is pretty I know, yeah. I don't, know. I don't get it. It's like a Nescafe advert or something. Yeah. Love it. But, but still, I want to watch it again. Airplane is a genius film. Don't watch a sequel because no one ever has. Nah, rubbish. Nah. That is the end of this week's show of Sound and Vision. Next week, I'll be back with another theme and another guest. Um, Des, thank you very much for joining me once again. It's thank nice you. to have you back on season two. Yeah, I'm glad I'm here and made it on season two. Maybe well, one day I'll get to season three. Yes. Um, we'll have you again on season two, fair not. Uh, but until then, thank you and uh, have a week.